We've been in the Nehemiah series. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament, and it shares the story with God's people of how they had sought their own way. They had said, you know what, God, we don't want anything to really do with you. We want to trust in our uh, allied forces. We want to trust in some of our neighboring nations to help us, to build us up, and to strengthen us. And God, in his loving kindness, does what he does to each of us. He gives us over to what we want. If you've never realized that in your spiritual condition, you can live life apart from God. And in his loving kindness, he doesn't leave you there. He continually invites you back, as he did with the people of Israel. He's continuing to invite them back and bring them over. But they said, nah, we're good. We don't want anything to do with that. And this book of Nehemiah comes to us because Nehemiah's heart was stirred. Because of chapter 1, verse 3, he had heard a report of how the exiles who had returned to Jerusalem the state of the city, the walls were torn down, the temple needed rebuilding, things were broken, things were in bad condition. And Nehemiah gets a stirring in his soul to go and rebuild the broken walls. Well, the last three Sundays we've been looking at, and I've been inviting us into look what that can mean for us personally. You know, one of the beautiful things about our Heavenly Father is that as we return to Him with any arena of our life, He is faithful to restore and to redeem. In fact, Scripture would say that He does not consider our sins against us. One famous passage says, as far as the east is from the west, so has He removed our transgressions from us. We have a loving, caring, ever-present, always forgiving Heavenly Father. And so the last few Sundays, we've um, talked about what that looked like for Nehemiah. Well, during the week in my studies today, I wanted to identify a wall. The good news is you have this wall in your life, and it's a good wall. It's been built up, but chances are somewhere in life, this wall has taken a hit or two. And so our time together, we're going to look at a wall that I believe implicates each one of us. In fact, I would boldly say that if you have breath in your lungs, that if you are cognitive and conscious right now that you're alive, this wall has something to do with you. And so I've titled this message, Rebuilding the Wall of Broken Relationships. Today we're going to talk about, we're going to spend some time rebuilding the wall of broken relationships. Each of us has experienced the pain of a broken relationship, amen? Each of us has had a journey through grief, has had a journey through disappointment, has had a journey through slander, gossip, envy. However we get there, the pain of a broken relationship. And I want to give us a framework. I want to give us a bit of a, a, a way to walk through life. I may make you aware. I promise not to step on any toes today. Wink, 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 wink. All right? Unintentionally, unintentionally. If your toes are stepped on, just avoid it. Okay? All right. But in all sincerity, I want to take a moment and begin to look at what it would mean for you and for I to rebuild 
where it is on us to rebuild broken relationships in our life. And so I'm going to say a couple things that, first off, they're just statements. They're just true, whether we like it or not. I have at times tried to avoid these truths uh, to my own risk and detriment, but they just are, okay? And I've got a couple truths, and then the other things are more practical steps to actually kind of build up the walls uh, that have been torn down in our relationships. And so uh, I've, got a, I've got a truth I just want to share right out the gate here. This first thought is, and this is going to make sense when you hear it, we inherit a framework for relationships. Just think about that. You and I inherit a framework for relationships. We, I think we would all agree, didn't have much control of the families we were born into. We could all agree with that, right? For better or for worse, <laughs> we didn't get much say in the matter. We just showed up. And we had parents or guardians or loved ones who were doing the very best they could for us. Despite their faults, despite their hang-ups or hiccups, they were doing the very best for us. We all inherit a framework for doing relationships. Here's how our framework happens. I've got three uh, quick ways it happens. Our family of origin. Our family of origin. Think of our parents. Think of our siblings. Think of our extended family. Let's not think of our extended family for too long, amen, somebody. But just, all right, they're, they're, they're in the mix. <laughs> our family of origin helped wire our DNA, if you will. Our relational DNA has been fostered. And we inherited this framework for our relationships. Whether we consciously are aware of it or not, right? Childhood, we weren't aware of everything. But we began to see maybe how our parents handled conflict. Or how our parents parented. Or how they handled panic or anxiety or rejection or fear. And so our little minds in that moment are beginning to build up a framework. We're beginning to create a framework for how we do relationships. You can think about it like this. All right, everyone's familiar with a computer? All right, there's nothing like a brand new computer, somebody, right? Especially you Mac users, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's nothing like having to pay for the three-year warranty. That's a different, separate... There's nothing like opening the box and a new computer and you, you open it up and everything's functioning perfectly, everything's going well. And then over time, you did it, you swore you never would do it. Your dad emailed you and said, don't open this email, but despite the warning, you clicked the email. And you thought for a brief moment as the flashing lights came up on your screen that you just won $3 million dollars. And what you didn't realize is by opening that email, somebody, your computer con contracted a virus. And now it's <laughs> closing down in the least opportune moments. Now you can't open certain icons and apps you were hoping to use. And things are malfunctioning and misfiring. It's a little bit like you and me. Do you know God ordained you to begin life? That you're not an accident 
you were created on purpose with a purpose. That in your makeup, you were whole. That in your makeup, things were good. Just like God looked at Adam and Eve and said, it is good. That's how, if you will, we arrive. Good. Things are in place. Things are going well. But have you noticed? It doesn't take very long to realize something's a little off. That sin not only influences and impacts our lives, but heaven forbid, your parents had sin in their lives too. And so again, they're doing the best they can. They're working the hardest they can. They operated by a framework they got from somewhere, and now you get it from somewhere. And so you begin to operate in the same sort of way. Some of y'all, y'all learned how to cuss really good. You're right. <laughs> Didn't mean to step on your toes. Okay. So, some, some of you, though, you, you handle panic a, cer- a certain way and you didn't realize it. You were handed a framework for doing life. I love, uh, I love what Pete Scazzaro, uh, a pastor and author, wrote. Um, he said, hey, we all know through Christ we got Jesus in our soul, somebody. Love it. But he says, you got a little bit of grandpa in your bones. He's <laughs> like... Like, I know Jesus' blood has covered the multitude of sins, but we've got to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to get some of what Grandpa has in our bones, somebody. And that's one way of thinking it. And here's what's funny, right? We, we, we look to the Bible like, God, give me a biblical family. God, I want a family that, that's in the Bible. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. I want to bring up this slide. Look at this is the first family of the Bible, y'all. You're in some good. We're in some good company. I, the, the, the first family of the Bible. Think of their family of origin. God calls Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Man, he calls them in their old age. And they go, and then they have Isaac, the son of promise. But how many of you know they got some mixed up ways of doing life? I mean, there's a famine that hits the land. So what does Abraham do? Abraham goes into the other country and it dawns on him just how beautiful his wife is. And that's great. But he realizes, oh, snap, I've got to have relationships with the Pharaoh in Egypt and all these other people. They're not going to appreciate this. So what does he do? He does some mixed up things. Says, hey, it's my sis. This is my sister. So it's all good. And so deceit immediately in family interactions. Then to add insult to injury, Abraham, man, he does not like God's timing. He's he's having to be patient and to trust. And he's like, that's ridiculous. And Sarah's like, it is a little ridiculous. And so they conjure up a plan. And Sarah's like, guess what? I've got my maidservant, Hagar. Why don't you sleep with her? And then we'll have a kid. Yippee! So Abraham, he's like, that sounds like a good plan, Sarah. He's like, you know what? Can you imagine Abraham probably didn't have a whole lot of pushback? He's like, well, all right, if you say so. Anyhow, we'll stop there. And Ishmael is born. And then God's like, no, that's not the one. And so Abraham, this is his faith journey, y'all. He's like, (laughs) noted the father of our faith for good reason. But it's inherent, if you will. He's like, man, I'm following Yahweh, but there's a little bit of grandpa still in my bones. And then... They have Isaac, and Isaac is a whole other story. Isaac 
inherit some of the relational quotient, the framework for doing life. So Isaac and Rebecca, they parent really, really well. They both pick favorites and pour in to separate sons. You have <laughs> Esau and Jacob. You ever heard of them? They're pretty interesting. They were always at each other's throats, always in tension. Life was never good enough. And then in one foul play, or two actually foul plays, <laughs> Jacob, he plays to Esau's weaknesses and snatches his birthright. And then a little bit on, <laughs> Jacob then snatches his blessing. I mean, he's got the birthright, the blessing. The good news is Esau comes back and it dawns on Rachel. You know what? Esau is going to kill Jacob. So let's figure this out. So uh, 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 Rachel, uh, Rebecca, excuse me, Rebecca comes back and um, says, hey, guess what? And guess what? You got to take off to your uncle. So Jacob goes to his uncle. Forgive me. Jacob goes to his uncle and his uncle is full of deceit and tricks him. And so this continues, continues, continues. It reaches a bit of a high point when Jacob lands up with his two wives and two maidservants of their wives. He has 12 children. They're at each other's throats. You see what I'm getting at? The DNA, it, the framework for doing life is passing on and passing on. Y'all, this is the first family in the Bible. This is the people of promise from God. It's a beautiful picture for us to understand some of our reckoning as human beings, some of our relationship issues. We're not alone, first off, which is good news. But it reaches a high point from when the 12 brothers, 11 of them are like, Joseph, we don't like you. I mean, there's a reason, right? He's telling them how, hey, I know you guys are older than me. You're more experienced than with me, but I had a really good dream last night. And and in that dream, y'all were like bending down, bowing to me, and, and I was postured in leadership. You know, how many of you know, treasure those dreams like Mary in your heart. Don't be blabbing about, don't share that on Facebook. You know, keep it quiet. <laughs> Joseph, share, share, share. And his brothers are like, you know what? We don't like you. You got the coat of many colors. We're going to kill you. And, it, and, and then the oldest brother, Reuben, has a great idea. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Spare his life. Good idea, brother. And so Joseph gets shipped off into Egypt. I mean, y'all, family relationships, right? How many of you right about now, you're feeling a whole lot better after that? Like, you know what? He's got a good point. Thank you, Jesus. But they inherited a framework for doing relationships. They were doing the best they could do, but they inherited and it's important for you and I that we do have a, a, a little bit of understanding that some of that does happen in our own lives. That just a family you're born in, the parents, they're, they're doing the very best they can, but as if just the framework we inherited isn't tough enough, you'll know this to be true as well. When it comes to our relationships, our life experiences, they develop a framework as well. In fact, that's the second thought, that our life experiences develop a framework for relationships. Again, get that picture of that Mac, MacBook. You open it up, maybe Mac, MacBooks don't really get malware. You got a good old Microsoft PC in front of you. And it's got some, you know, when it first arrives, everything's great. But how many of you know the viruses begin to contaminate it and make it difficult? 
And so that MacBook's trying to keep up, man. It's doing the very, very best it can. It's, it's wanting to function for you. But because of the viruses, because of the difficulties, because of the sin and the consequences, it has slowed down its operating system. Life experiences affect our relational operating experience. You ever realize that or recognize that? Remarkable author David Siemens writes in his book, Healing for Damaged Emotions. He says, can we bring this quote up? He says, events in our lives, both good and bad, form rings in us like the rings in a tree. Each ring records memories that affect our feelings, our relationships, and our thoughts about God. It's remarkable. You think of life experiences that you've encountered, and even your friends and, and maybe some of your extended family. How many of you know? Some people know they weren't crippled physically as they went into young adulthood. But emotionally, relationally, they were barely hanging by a thread. It's one of life's hard, hard truths. Is that some things we got no control over. Wasn't our fault. Wasn't our fault. We didn't do a thing wrong. We didn't put a foot wrong. And... Maybe for 15, 25, 35 years, we've been trying to avoid the pain, trying to shut down the memories, tried to run as fast and as far as we ever can. And despite our best efforts, we've noticed that some of our relationships, the walls keep breaking down. The cycles continue to exist. We build a framework for our relationships. Yes, we were handed it. But also, life experiences, there are sometimes bumper stickers that do a lot of good for us. Blank happens. Life happens. That's the blank, right? Life happens. Life happens. Sometimes no fault of our own. And you know, I spent a lot of my years just avoiding Spent a lot of my years not even thinking about it or being aware of it, but the Holy Spirit, by His grace and His mercy, He can bring healing to those rings in the tree, those damaged areas of our life. He loves us that much. The good news isn't just good news for when we die. It's for here and now, through the Holy Spirit, that hear this truth over your life. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. And when you get a revelation of that truth over your soul, it just begins to kind of crack some things open in a good way that can unfold to some of the difficult and, and hard places of our soul. Because whether we like it or not, trauma, family history, some other experiences have an influence on our relationships. Let's bring up the next slide if you can. At the top it should say, you know, just something subtle like, Traumatic experiences. Something easy going for us this morning. Then underneath, I've got four listings. Some of these may be real for you. Some of these may be real for your parents or your grandparents or extended family. But it'll, I think if it isn't applicable for you, it'll give you some grace, some knowledge to the people around you. Traumatic experiences such as an affair, 
by a parent or by a guardian or somebody you really looked up to. And you think about that child, that poor child that's in the mix. Maybe the child was you. You didn't get a say or a choice in the matter. And so whether we try to avoid it, man, we run for cover. Whether we realize it, it leaves a little ring. It leaves a little imprint on our, on our soul. Think of that tender young child. It's just, it's got a little knock. That framework is damaged. A virus is in the system. You think of a divorce. You think of abandonment. You think of abuse. They cut deep. Wounds cut deep. You know, it's remarkable in some Christian circles and some churches. It's a, you know, the help they offer is, well, just get over it. Just, just get over it. Just grow up, Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll do my best. Just distract yourself. Just, just, just figure it out. Let me pray for you real quick. Boom. No, God wants to invite us into such a deeper, richer relationship than we can ever think or imagine. He wants to take the trauma, the difficulty, the deep pain, and he wants to bring a flood of healing over our soul. He wants to work the mistakes, the broken framework we were handed. He wants to flip it and upend it and call us out of darkness to live in his marvelous light. That where we may claim an identity of abuse or victim or abandoned, God calls you beloved. He calls you child. He calls you healed. But we have to embrace our true God given identity. See, because here's a truth. I'm just going to bring in Captain Obvious for a quick moment to land this for our hearts. Broken people break relationships. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Healed People, healed people, bring healing to the relationships. Relationships are a two-way street. If you haven't realized, there will be some relationships as hard or as much as you try, they as toxic as all get out. You need to run for the hills. It's truth. It's painful. It's hard, especially if you're a fixer, especially if you're a reconciler. Sometimes you just got to have the Holy Spirit say, uh-uh. That's a different message, a different time. But I end on a high. This third truth is true over our lives. In Christ, we are in a new family of God. In Christ, here's what it means to be discipled by Jesus in the area of our relationships. We are given a new framework a new operating system to do life. Yes, there's some kinks in our heart, right? There's some, man, we revert back. How many of you know when you got saved, anger didn't really notice immediately? 
Like, who, what? When did you do this? You did not consult me, Paul. <laughs> Get behind me in Jesus' name. You know, there, there's, a, there's a growing. There's a, man, uh, the new skin, it can be a little uncomfortable. Amen? But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I can't tell you, I am still having to tell some dry places in my soul. Hey, you don't know it yet. You're about to be healed. Hey, you don't know it yet. You're about to be healed. <laughs> because an area I suffered from was rejection, self-rejection. When I was 11, situation happened, the best situation in the world. Let me say that. I went from being a proud South African to becoming a proud American, baby. We immigrated from Cape Town, South Africa, all the way to southern Indiana. That's a, that's a series in and of itself. We just, <laughs> some of you, you know, sometimes I say things and I'm like, I just lost them totally. <laughs> just push pause, like, on all the whys. It was God. There you go. All right, so we, so we came over. Can I tell you, um, I have the best parents in the world. Kelly has the best parents in the world. We often talk about the framework we were given. But if you not realize the enemy of your soul, he doesn't give a rip about the framework you were given. And so when I was 11, I had a thick British accent. I know. Sorry. <laughs> but I had a thick British accent. And in my innocence, I used to speak up in class. Come on. All you fellow hand raisers who even if you didn't know the answer, you were just going to answer. Come on. Am I alone? All right. <laughs> It's one of the marks of ministry. No, I'm kidding. But we'd be in class, and I'd be sitting there, and man, I remember. It's funny how memories work, right? There's no rhyme or reason. They just kind of pop up, and you're like, ooh, that's weird. But in this particular instance, man, I, I remember just a simple question. I remember raising my hand. I was so excited. It took a few weeks, few days to get used to the class, get used to my teacher, and was beginning to feel settled, beginning to fit in. I remember raising my hand. I don't even know the question. I don't even know the answer. I know I was right with my answer. I don't know what it was because <laughs> I'm always right. All right. No. But I remember it came out. And all these kids and their innocence, I mean, I would have done the same exact thing. They just all burst out laughing because you may not know this about southern Indiana. There's not a whole lot of people with a thick British accent. <laughs> I remember. I mean, it's innocent. It's nothing. It's really quite funny looking back. Enemy didn't care. He took that, planted a seed in my soul. And then I remember getting a great new pair of shoes. And I thought I was on fire. I just, they the best, best pair of shoes. My parents bought it. Remarkable. I loved them. I remember that whole experience. I remember going in. This is, this is years ago. Years ago. You remember Kmart on Grant Line, somebody? 
Ark storage now. I remember when Kmart got a brand new pair of tennis shoes. Man, put the tennis shoes in. And uh, come on, you know fifth and sixth grade were brutal. Don't be looking at me like I'm crazy. I remember walking in. People just, what are you wearing those shoes for? I said, because they're awesome. Why Why do you think? And I was quickly put in my place, realized those shoes were not awesome in their minds. And again, I come back to, I know this is ridiculous. I know, right? You're like, man, he needs some counseling. Amen. But I say it's funny how memories work because if you've ever been rejected or ever rejected yourself, you know how quickly that fire can grow. I remember those seeds being sown in my soul. But then I recognized one of my spiritual gifts was humor. And so when you add rejection and self-rejection, whenever those insecurities begin to arise, you grab. Humor is not a spiritual gift, if you didn't know. But I realized very quickly, you know what? I'm going to get ahead of the game. I'm going to make fun of myself before you can make fun of me. And I'm going to make light of myself before you can make light of me. And then... I started realizing, man, I'm really gifted. I can become even more popular doing this. And can I tell you, there were these seeds of rejection all in my soul. And they just, they just started forming this nice garden. And the beautiful thing is I was able to take that self-rejection right into high school. I begin to apply that in relationships and ways of living. And then begin to take that into young adulthood. And God just began to slowly but surely tell me, son... You are not rejected. I have never left you. I have never forsaken you. You were always on my mind. You know what happens in that moment? Jesus, the gardener, he comes to do some cleanup control on that garden. He just takes a blowtorch to your soul and just begins to blow all those lies, all those memories, all those demonic seeds that the enemy planted who he couldn't wait for you till you were old enough to process, he just begins to sucker punch the lies of the enemy. It begins to strengthen you up. He begins to build you up. Can I tell you, abandonment, it drops a seed in your soul. Abuse drops a seed in your soul. And God calls us to a life of transformation. He says, behold, behold, my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what happens in that moment when we begin to build the right garden of our soul? And so we begin to create, not we don't create it in our own strength, but it's been hand given to us. By the master of relationships, our heavenly father, through his son. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That Sermon on the Mount is the best way to navigate relationships. 
And Paul, Paul would come along and he's writing to this church in Galatians. Paul comes along and you know us pastors, we have to get real every once in a while like this message. Paul gets real to the Galatians in chapter 5, 22 through 24. Some of the most compelling, convicting, avoidable verses in the Bible. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. 23 really says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. That's your and my new framework. That's our operating system. Let's take, let's take it a step further, shall we? Of course, I've got the mic. You, you can't... You can't. Now we go to our workplace and a coworker notices our life, notices the healing, notices the joy, notices the peace with a little bit of humor. And they reach out to us, then they, they send us a message. Then out of nowhere, you weren't anticipating it, you were just going to refill and get some more Diet Coke. And then they meet you over there and they just pour out all their life story how they were abandoned, how they just walked through a heartaching divorce, how they were abused from a young age. And you're like wanting to run, but you sat in a message at Hillside Church where the pastor looked you in the eyes and said, you're Jesus in that moment. And so you look at them and you say, God knows you by name. I know you're walking through the fire and this is a valley and I know, it's, I know it's wreaked a havoc in your soul, but know that there is a love that surpasses all understanding. Know that there is a God who makes you brand new. Know that that may have been an implication of your past, but good news just arrived. He wants to heal your soul, set you free, and he wants to pour out his heavenly identity upon you. So you don't have to do life anymore like that way. Then they look at you and they say, it's so crazy. I was just coming over here to refill my Diet Coke. It's how God works. And he begins, he puts people in our path who, whoa, have the same testimony you just came out of. It's like God knows what he's doing, y'all. It's like he knows what he's doing. And there are times I talk to people, man, and, and, and the moment they talk about rejection, I'm like, I'm oh, in. I know what that feels like. Oh, yeah, you've been seeking the approval of others? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what that looks like. I got a whole closet of those old clothes. But I got a new closet, and you can, you can too. Why does God do that? He uses us. He, he works through us to set others free. It's a beautiful thing. So don't discount. If your past looks a lot like Jacob's, don't discount what God's doing in and through your life. And I want to I share this last thought. You'll be grateful. I had two last thoughts, but I'm only going to share one of them. You're welcome. <laughs> Y'all listening this morning is okay. I know. I know. Uh, I 
I should have pre-planned with a lot of dad jokes and trying to lighten the mood, but really felt the Lord, the Lord wanted to let you know a rebuild is possible in your relationships. But here's the deal. I want a patch job. God wants to rebuild. I just want a quick fix. God wants to give me a new operating system. And so I want to close with this last thought. Commit. I want you to commit to something. Personal healing and restoration. Yes, I know you're saved. I know that. And I know you've got a a, a good thing going with the Lord. I know that. But here's what I want you to begin to think about. Whenever a relational difficulty comes up, and you either speak up too fast or you don't speak up and you know you should, begin to think about that. I had to learn these muscles. I had to learn these spiritual muscles in my life. But before I could learn anything, I had to realize I'm going to commit to personal healing and restoration in my life. I'm going to commit to personal healing and restoration in my life. What that means is if rejection resonates with your soul, you need to talk to the Lord about that. You may need to talk to a counselor about that. You may need to talk to your small group leader or the prayer team. Because sometimes our vantage point is so broken that we have no way of seeing. We need somebody else to speak the words of life, the words of the Father to our soul. Y'all, if you haven't seen The Chosen yet, what's wrong with you? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. If you haven't seen The Chosen yet... I was re-watching episode one. I can't help myself. And I'm like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a commitment to watch one and not tear up. Go. And it's like Jesus shows up and I'm, I'm back to baby. I'm like, I can't help myself. But it's a beautiful scene and I won't ruin it for you. It is in the Gospels, but you know, you can get a preview in the Gospels. But he, he shows up and, 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 and calls somebody, the chosen, right? They're chosen by God. So he goes and he calls somebody. And he speaks their name for the first time that they remember decades earlier in childhood. And you know, that's part of the healing that God does for us. I'll end on this story. I'm going to try not to get teary-eyed. So in 93, we came over from South Africa. Well, in 2014, my wife and I, and at the time, our, 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 just one of our daughters was here. So we moved up to Indiana. Again, questions, just put them on pause. We knew we were called to plant this church. We knew God had set us apart, and we had so many blessings along the journey. And I remember I was listening to uh, what at the time was a new song. And I got up early and had my playlist mapped out and... I had this song playing called Good, Good Father. Brand new song at the time. and Just began to listen to the words of it. And God came in the room. Doesn't happen every time, but I knew God was in the room. And he said, Paul, you do not have to live like an immigrant any longer. And... Um, I, this is rare, but I I just kind of bowed over. I was sitting, and I just melted in that moment. 
And it was like the identity I always knew existed just poured into my soul. And um, I'd like to say, well, from that moment, I've never had any self-rejecting thoughts or no. There's been some major mistakes and hiccups and all these things. But what I have noticed is God time and time and time again has whispered his words over my soul. And so I want to encourage you, if you suffer from any self-rejection, hear this. You're not alone. And you may feel like you never measure up. Can I just tell you the heart of your father towards you? You measure up. You're a good child. He has good days ahead. You're not forsaken. You may feel a little bit lost and in a fog. Let me tell you, God holds the keys to unlock your future. Meet him in the pain. Let him heal from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And here's what's the beautiful thing. When he begins to heal our souls, it begins to make a difference in the relationships around us. We're able to build up in our marriage. We're able to build up in our parenting. We're able to build up with our coworkers. We're no longer sowing discord, divisiveness, gossiping, looking for drama, you know, the things that the enemy keeps us busy with. What we begin to realize is God's doing a good work in our life, and I'm going to operate from his operating system he's given us. Because we cannot anymore. The time is short. We can't afford in our life to keep partnering with the lies and the whispers of the enemy. We can't continue to live life thinking, Ah, you know, I'm not worth it. I'm nothing. Ah, just I'll never amount to anything. We can't partner anymore with these lies. We have to partner with the word of God that says, man, I love you. You're free. There's healing coming. There's provision coming. There's freedom coming. There's relationship coming. There's hope coming. There's goodness coming. There's peace coming. There's joy coming. There's the love of God coming. We need to position ourselves in that way.